Hi, everybody, and welcome to the latest edition of Volley. I'm Carolyn April, and as always, looking for my good friend Seth Robinson. Seth, how you doing? Hey, I'm doing all right. I'm uh, a little tired. Uh, you know that we are moving uh, in a couple weeks, hopefully, and so we've been going through the whole process, and it's... I mean, it's been going well, but uh, I don't think there's any way that it can go that it's not kind of stressful and anxiety-inducing. So um, just been dealing with that. But hopefully in another couple weeks, um, that's all over with. It's exciting, though. I mean, moving is a drag always. Nobody likes to move. Um, they like when they get settled in the new place, though. So that's great. Um, you'll have to invite me over. I want a housewarming tour when you get all settled in the house the next time I'm out in the uh, – in the Chicago burbs. Yeah, it's too bad it wasn't next week since you'll be out here. Um, sure. But yeah, then then that'll give us a chance to move in and get the place cleaned up because I know how much you you enjoy a neat and tidy place. So yeah, I do very much. I don't want to see boxes. <laughs> get them all get them all unpacked. Everything put away. Everything clean. Are your kids excited? Um, I I think they have some excitement, but uh, each one of them for different reasons, has uh, some anger over it, too. <laughs> and uh, we've gotten past the point of trying to kind of talk through that anger. And it's like, you know what? You can just be angry for the next few weeks. And then once it's done, I, I think they will be excited. I think my oldest won't ever quite get happy with it. But um, she's just kind of ready to leave. Uh, you know, she's, she's college anyway right yeah yeah she's heading to college and that's what she has her eyes on is just like i don't care what you people do i'm out of here pretty soon anyway so uh, you know what just ride that out exactly as, yeah ride as, that wave as someone who's been through that uh, that last year of high school right before they go to college just ride it out yeah it's the same thing as as the move process right like you can kind of do what you can to minimize it but you're never really going to make it good yeah no i'm with you well, good luck in the next couple of weeks getting that all taken care of. Yeah, thank you. I'm glad I don't live close by, so you draft me to help you lug stuff. But <laughs> I would, uh, I would just draft you for drinks afterwards and drinks to cope with all of it. Okay, well, I'm good at that. I'm good doing that. So I heard a rumor that you got a phone upgrade that I did not get here, but um, the iPhone 10 you got, the X one? Yeah, yeah, the oh, new fanciness. Excited about stuff like that. Yeah, I um, I had been waiting for an extra year. So we, we do upgrades here every two years, and at the time I was ready for a refresh, they were talking about the redesign already, and so I was like, well, you know, my phone's working okay, let me, let me wait an extra year. And so I had been on my iPhone 6 for three years, and it was still working fine. I had replaced the battery because it was starting to go. But other than that, um, I didn't have a lot of issues with it. But I was excited about the new one. Uh, and so it came a few weeks after the launch date, right before Thanksgiving. And so it gave me the holiday to kind of play with it. And I really like it. The first thing that you notice is the screen. It's the full screen, and so it doesn't have the, the bezels on the top or the bottom. It doesn't have a home button. And you just notice how much screen area there is. And you and I are both on the regular size iPhones, not the Plus. And so someone that's on a Plus would think I'm getting the same screen real estate, but it's much smaller in my hand. Uh, but for, for me, I felt like I was getting a lot more screen. And it's super clear because it's OLED. And uh, so that's the first thing you notice. And I think that's the thing that kept drawing me back to it and, and wanting to play around and see how different apps behaved. And 
getting used to the two notches on the top, which are the two um, pieces of the screen on either side of the black notch on the top, which I, I guess a lot of people have had some issues with. I think in real life, it plays out differently than it does in a picture. If you're looking at it in a picture, you really notice that notch. And when you're using it day to day, I think it comes off as just you've got these two extra pieces of screen up on the top that really don't play into uh, a normal app or the normal way that you would use your phone. They're just up there for like the clock and some of the indicators. And then there's a tiny bit, you know, a functionality if you drag down from those areas. Mm. So I haven't been bothered by that at all. And then the big, the other big thing beyond the screen is the face ID. Right. Um, I want to ask you about that. Yeah, that one I would say I'm not as impressed with um, compared to Touch ID. And, and some of the issues I have with it are issues that I thought I would have. So like if you're reaching for your phone with Touch ID and you grab your phone and you can put your thumb on the home button, by yeah. the time you get it up to your face or whatever, you've unlocked it. Um, and and with, with Face ID, you have to bring it up to your face. So there's a little, you know, extra work there. And I, there are some situations where imagine you're like in a restaurant and you're talking to people and you kind of want to check your phone like just below the table or something. Yep. You could unlock it with Touch ID. It's quite a bit tougher to do with Face ID. Uh, well, if you're thinking of us giving, you know, if you're doing a presentation and you've got an audience members, well, they're always looking down at their phones. But now are we going to have people sitting in your audience like holding phones up to their faces to, you know, log in so they can check email or whatever they're doing. And I can see that being kind of bizarre. I think what will happen is, so what, what I've been doing in like that situation is, you know, I, I wake up the phone and then it's looking for face ID. And then when it's not seeing my face after like half a second, it gives me the passcode. And so I just punch in the passcode, but I'm, I'm purposefully leaving the phone down because it's like, I don't want to bring the phone up. And so it, it takes me a little extra half a second or whatever to get that passcode punched in, but it's still preferable to, you know, pulling the phone up and trying to log in with my face. Um, I've gotten used to that part of it, I would say. The part that I'm still not used to is if I am wanting to unlock it with my face, I feel like there are times that I bring it up and it's not quite picking me up. And I, I haven't figured out why that is. Like sometimes it does it instantly. And sometimes it doesn't. And I I haven't figured out if there's like something that I'm doing when I'm trying to wake up the phone that like it's it's not quite ready and there's a, a routine that I have to go through or what. But um, there's a learning curve there to it. And it works well. Like it, it's plugged into some apps like my bank app. And so, you know, I can unlock my bank with my face, which in those cases, that tends to work pretty well because the phone's already woken up, you know, you're, you're doing stuff, you bring up the bank app, and it looks for your face almost right away. Uh, and so that tends to work pretty well. Uh, but I would say it's got a, a couple hiccups that I imagine will be ironed out over time. And I think people will learn uh, slightly new behavior over time. But um, Right now, I didn't. I didn't completely fall in love with the Face ID part of it. Is the Face ID more secure than the Touch ID, or is it merely the fact that they had to get rid of the the, the button on the front to make the screen bigger that they went to a Face ID? They they say it's more secure, and the numbers that they quote when they're saying that Face ID is more secure than Touch ID are numbers for like um, 
random occurrences of being able to break in. So like if, if somehow some person was able to put their thumb on your touch ID and, and break in, that was like a one in 500,000 or 50,000 chance of happening. But somebody having a similar enough face to you to be able to get into your face ID is like one in 150,000 chance or something like that. So from that aspect, they're saying it's more secure. Of course, there are the issues of, you know, how could law enforcement force you to unlock your phone? Uh, and there are certain settings that you can do, and there's a way to turn off the face ID by, like, hitting the side button five times, and then it turns it off completely, and then law enforcement can't force you to enter your passcode. So there are, there are some of those things built in. Um, I think for you and I, generally, like, in our everyday security, it's... It, it's sort of a wash, right? It's like we have biometric security, and that's good. So the question becomes, how convenient is it? Um, and I, I feel like it's a tiny step back on convenience, but not so much that like you absolutely you know hate it and want to throw the phone away. Well, I'll have to get a look at it next week when I'm out at headquarters. Yeah. yeah. I, I have not seen one at all in, in, in person yet, so I'm interested to, to check it out. Okay, yeah, we'll, we'll play around with it. You know, at, at the end of the day, it's a phone. And <laughs> I think people tend to ask, like, is it worth it? Uh, or what new things does it do? And, and you can cite things like Face ID or whatever, but at the end of the day, it's a phone. And the behavior that I have in my day-to-day -day life with this phone is pretty much the same as I had before. So it's not a device that is drastically changing things like when the phone first came into being, right? And, and when we, we didn't have smartphones and then all of a sudden we did and, all, and then all of us changed the way that we were doing computing. This doesn't do that. It, it extends that a little bit maybe, but, but mostly you're in the same area. Um, and so it's, it's, it's not a completely disruptive thing, but it, it's nice and it's fast. And it looks cool. So, well, those are all good things. Yeah, nice, fast, and looks cool. <laughs> it's it's an accessory, really. Yeah. So, are we going to tackle net neutrality today? Well, it seems like we should. Um, everyone's talking about it. Uh, I think so. I think we should. So, this administration obviously is is rolling back quite a bit of regulation uh, across the board, not just net, net neutrality, but um, and not just within the FCC, but in all other areas of the federal government right now. So this should come as no surprise that this is on the table. Uh, that the FCC chairman is is has released a plan um, to roll back these regulations that were put into place in the Obama administration in 2015 to essentially make the internet or ensure that the internet remains a public utility, as you, if you will, um, much like electricity or um, other utilities that you get into your home, that broadband being a public utility. So the debate here is, do we have an open internet, and what are the, what are the potential ramifications of, of not, of rolling this back and, and giving a lot more control uh, over content and over internet speed and access to the ISPs, uh, so your Comcast and your AT&Ts and those middlemen that sit between the internet and the content providers and how it gets to you. So I don't know if you have a strong position on this. I mean, I personally would like to see net neutrality stay in place, but I could be, you know, I, I understand some of the other, other arguments that could be made here. I would say 
I, I don't feel like I have a strong position because I don't fully understand every angle of the arguments that go into this. I, I wonder a little bit if the debate, people are framing it as a debate over whether or not the internet should be open. And I almost wonder if the debate is about which regulations best allow that to happen. And I think it, it would be no surprise that from one administration to another, especially if you change parties, you're going to have a difference of opinion on which regulations allow that to happen better. And you, and you can begin to speculate on motivations and say, well, these people don't really care as much about net neutrality or an open internet. They, they care more about allowing the, the big companies to get bigger. Um, and I, I can't speak, I, I don't want to speak to the, the different motivations that, that may be out there. I will say that I'm, I'm, I'm not ready to automatically jump on a bandwagon and say, this given action by this current FCC is going to lead to the internet not being open anymore. It may or it may not. I, I just, I'm not completely convinced. There are two articles that I think we're going to put in the show notes here that I think argue both sides of this a little bit. And you sent me one by Farhad Manju of the New York Times. And in that article, I think he's, he's more arguing that this action by the FCC will continue to kill the internet. And that's kind of the important part that I wanted to pull out is he believes that there's already a lot of things going on that are driving the internet away from this original vision of it being open and you know beautifully available to companies of all sizes and you could have startups and a lot of innovation and, and all of that. Right. Uh, and and I, I agree with that part of it, that this is one of many factors that are impacting the nature of the internet. I, I don't know that it's the death knell, maybe it's not the absolute best, but there are definitely a few other factors out there. Yeah. You know, my, my issue mainly here is I don't think we're we're getting into a situation where we've got a non-open internet, even without net neutrality. The internet will still be there, and there will still be access to it. Um, but the problem is, is that you have a situation where the ISPs are not competitive with one another. They're monopolies in each in 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 their various regions, and so they will be unleashed to pretty much do as they please and package content the way they want or extract money from the big content providers like Netflix um, to make sure that they prioritize their content. And as such, I think as a consumer on the, on the, on the front end of all of this, you're at the mercy like you are with your cable company, which is now your ISP in most cases, at the mercy of how they decide to package things, how they decide to price things, how they decide to provide um, different levels of service. And that's the issue. And I, I, I read something that I, that, a good analogy, that's, it's not my analogy, but um, it was something that I read online um, of thinking about the uh, shipping industry. So you've got UPS, FedEx, DHL, all of those shipping companies. And if there were no, if there were such a thing as mail neutrality, Mail M A I L, uh, that would prevent, you know, UPS, FedEx, etc., from being able to decide. Hey, um, I would rather deliver packages to this rich neighborhood with the nice houses um, that yields us more money. They do more shipping, and I won't necessarily get to this other neighborhood today. 
maybe I'll do it tomorrow. And the, pro the, the thing is, though, that those carriers don't do that. And the reason is they have competition. They want your business no matter where you live. They, you know, because if you're not going to, if UPS isn't going to deliver the package, well, that consumer will just go to FedEx or they'll just go to DHL. Well, that's not the case with ISPs. If I don't like the off, uh, you know, the offerings I get or the options I get with whoever my ISP is, I won't name them, so to shame them. But if I don't like that, I have no one else to go to. And if you eliminate net neutrality and then it gets even more kooky in terms of what they're offering to you or what they're charging you, et cetera, and you have no one to go to, then I think the consumer loses there. Do you tend to think about it more from a consumer standpoint or more from an innovation uh, and the ability to have startups standpoint? Well, I think about it, I think it, think about it from both perspectives because – you know, then you've got I, I there's some statistic out there about how much the the amount of money that Netflix basically generate you know is responsible for when it comes to moving through these ISPs and so uh, or the amount of bandwidth they use or whatever it, it, it's it's an astronomical number and it, it's outsized you know outsizes everything all the other con most of the other content providers out there so the reasoning going if uh, the ISPs now can charge uh, a company they want to you know they want to expand their infrastructure and they're going to turn to Netflix if net neutrality goes away and say hey you know you use up a third of our infrastructure you know the bandwidth and that I just tossing that third out there that's not an accurate number necessarily uh, so you should pay more than all these other little providers well that might be that might seem fair that's why Netflix is probably against net neutrality in fact they are are not net neutrality repealing of it um, but I do think it would squelch innovation in the sense that if if then Netflix feels that they have no choice and Google and Amazon and all these content providers who are giants and they start paying into the system, they pay the ISPs, then it, the little guys, if you're a new content provider, a new startup, uh, you really don't have a leg to stand on in terms of you, you just, from a financial standpoint, you just have no might whatsoever in this game. And I think that that will have the impact of squelching innovation. Uh, you know, I read an article about, you know, the, the craft site Etsy, uh, which is wildly successful. Um, you know, their CEO has said we would never, if net neutrality didn't exist, we would never have been able to, you know, to achieve what we've achieved because we started so small. And if there were any sort of um, requirements from the ISPs that we use to pay up in order to have, you know, priority service or faster, you know, pipeline into people's houses, uh, we wouldn't have been able to do that and we wouldn't be what we are today. So that's a prime example of, and I think that that is, that is a concern. And then again, I, I do, I do think that I sympathize with the consumer potential for fall for fallout here as well. Yeah. So I, I see it on both sides as well. And on the consumer side, I agree with you that my biggest concern here is the, the fact that these ISPs are monopolies and there's not the chance for competition. So if you're if you're going to try to say, well, if if ISPs were to try to charge differently and then a consumer could make their choice, then the market will help that play out. Mm -hmm. But we don't have that situation. And and whether or not ISPs are governed by net neutrality, they are still very large and in many geographies like you were mentioning, there's only one selection. Uh, and we in America are paying a lot more for a lot less bandwidth than there is in a lot of other countries. And I'm, I, I don't know 
exactly what regulations make sense here. Um, but I, I, I don't feel like changing net neutrality is is the the linchpin in figuring out how to break up these monopolies and, and that type of thing. And I think that's some of what gets argued in the second article that we'll link to, which yes. is from Ben Thompson at Stratechery. Um, he's, he's kind of arguing there are, there are some bigger fish to fry if we're worried about ISPs and their behavior. And, and again, he is very clear, just as I think you and I both are, we are for net neutrality. I, I don't know how many people there are that would say it would be a good thing if ISPs could charge differently. Maybe ISPs would say that. Maybe they even wouldn't. Maybe they do their analysis and they say, now look, if, if we did that, then this would happen to us and so we don't want to do it anyway. I'm, I'm not sure, but his point is asking the question of which regulations are really the best ones to apply to this new technology space and in particular these ISPs. Um, on the innovation side, I think I feel a little more conflicted about it. Like, you know, I see, I read on Twitter and I read articles online and people saying exactly, you know, the argument that you've made that, you know, well, what, well how are the small guys going to survive? And, and I kind of wonder how many of those people that are writing those articles have subscriptions to Amazon Prime and do all their shopping there and aren't as concerned about how Amazon and its technology is affecting the real retail space. But then they turn around and they want to allow for innovation in a in a digital space. So when it, when it comes to digital versus physical, they're all in on digital. But when it comes to just the digital space, then they really want to protect the little guy. Yeah, no, I, I can definitely see that there's definitely contradiction there for sure. You know, and I think to to the the later article that that you did send me from Strategery. Can I say that right? Strategery. Strategery. Thank yeah. you. Strategery was George W. Bush, that's right? right. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> okay. Um, no, but I see the point. I think his his bottom line was that we are regulating um, net neutrality. Regulation is regulation put in place to prevent theoretical harm. That it actually wasn't happening, but it was put into place right. um, because of the potential there. And is that a good reason to put regulation into place? I mean, shouldn't regulation be put into place when harm is being done and you want to stop it? So you sort of get that argument I do mm-hmm. um, but maybe it's me and I'm not so sure I trust these ISPs um, you know Comcast has come out and said you know we would never throttle throttle um, you know the speed of particular websites uh, we would not block particular websites they've, they made that statement but it's just a statement it, you know and and because there is no competitor for many of the people who subscribe to Comcast if they Go if they go ahead and do exactly what they say they're not going to do now. What's the recourse? Right, and and I think that Ben's larger point that didn't come out as much in this article, but comes out across many articles that he writes and uh, in his podcast Exponent is regulation tends to be really really hard in general, and regulation in our digital environment is even harder because so much of our regulatory history has been built off of non-digital and, and the rules are different now. And, and things that used to be in place to protect consumers don't always apply perfectly if we're talking about a technology company like Amazon in the retail space that is clearly bringing consumer benefit Mm-hmm. but is almost building a technology because of that. He calls it aggregation theory, and we could talk about that on a different day. But 
the, the point is it's complicated and it's hard. And this isn't, this is an example of many things that I see these days that I, I feel are tending to get simplified down to a single issue. Uh, and it's, it takes a little bit extra work to see all sides of it. And you and I do the work and we have the conversation here on Volley. And I think it, it's good. And I learn things when, when we dig into an issue like this. Uh, and, and so hopefully we're giving a few other sides of the story for people to think about as well. Yeah, absolutely. I, I, I learned um, I learned more than I knew, that's for sure, about net neutrality this week and just doing a little studying up. And um, I think it's great for the conversation. So hopefully our listeners out there enjoy it as well. All right, my friend. Well, I uh, will be out in your neck of the woods for our all staff and, and uh, meeting next week. So I'll be there for a few days. and I'm looking forward to seeing you and the new phone. Yeah, I'm looking forward to it as well. Uh, the the December All Staff is always an entertaining time. Yes, everybody's in, all our international folks and and the whole team. So that's it's always a, it's it's a good week for 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 Comptia. Yep, yep. And then we'll be heading towards the end of the year. I think we probably just have one more volley before the end of the year. Okay, merry merry. Right? Yeah, yeah. So we'll have to uh, we'll have to plan our big 2017 blowout. Yeah, the holiday edition of uh, of Lonely. Look, I, I got to come up with some ideas. All righty, buddy. So I'll see you next week. All right, you have a good weekend. Yep. Bye bye.